Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Slow Pod. We have some exciting news. Our website is finally up and running. Go check it out at slowpod.com. On this week's episode, we talked with Deep Mystery. Deep is a slow local who, from San Luis Obispo High School, went on to study data science at Cal Berkeley. As a member of Berkeley's first graduating class in this field, Deep is on the cutting edge of this exciting frontier. He gave us some great tips on how to keep your data safe and how to prepare for the ever-changing online world. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy it. This is Deep Mystery. This is Sam Lewis of Exposed Podcast, featuring locals, legends, and leaders. Welcome to Slow Pod. What is up, San Luis Obispo? This is episode five of San Luis Obispo podcast. I'm sitting here with my homie, Emerson Trout. Emerson, what is up? I am doing absolutely amazing today. We're here with Deep Mystery. The Deep Mystery. He just graduated from Berkeley in, what was it? Data science, guys. That's data it. science. Love that. You're the first graduate, first graduating class of data science. What's that like? What is data science, first of all? Uh, you know, first of all, guys, thanks for having me. It's great to reconnect with you guys after, I don't know, four, four, Dude, four or five years. Yeah, it's been so, a minute. Too long. Um, it's awesome being back in slow. Great weather we're having today, but it just sucks. We have to stay inside. <laughs> you know, and but, sunny. you know, to answer your question, Emerson, data science is basically, uh, you know, you have computer science and you have statistics. So if you had to put a Venn diagram together, it's basically the middle of those two subjects. Now, what data science is becoming so popular in today's, uh, you know, world of tech business is that there's so much information out there, right? When you go to the uh, store, you, you know, the co the company can track all your transactions or can record like what are you buying, or even when you go on Amazon, it can, you know, look at your purchase history and try to recommend you items that you're gonna buy in the future. That's what really data science is about, right? Taking all that information that we have on consumers uh, or everyone in the world and trying to maximize uh, the prediction on what that person's gonna purchase next or what that person's gonna do next. Uh, so data science, obviously there's a lot of ethical issues behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, you wanna be safe, uh, you know, in the Facebook scandal a couple uh, years ago with Cambridge, Cambridge Analytics. So what, what went down with that, for those who don't know? So Cambridge Analytics, basically they were using Facebook's data to uh, influence uh, people people's uh, Facebook feed on their political views. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. So that that was basically the gist of it, and Facebook was under a scandal because they're like, oh, we didn't give the data to Cambridge Analytica. We don't know how they got it, but you know it has to come from somewhere. So Cambridge Analytica um, used that data to influence voters on voting a certain way or not. Yeah. Okay. Dude, so it's crazy. It's, it's crazy about how like micromanaged your media is now. Dude. Like even with targeted ads on Instagram, you know. Yeah. Like it's dialed. The they have it. They know exactly what I want to see. If yeah. you go on Google Chrome, you can download an extension called Orbis Eye, and basically you go to a website and it tracks all the third-party uh, trackers that are tracking you, and so it shows Orbis you Eye. Orbis Eye. If you download it on Google Chrome, and it's like basically it's like so if you go to ESPN and you go to 
whatever, MSNBC, you can see that there's third parties that connect. And then if you go to like NyQuil, you'll see that the, all those parties connect. And so you'll start getting NyQuil ads and ESPN. You'll start getting the NyQuil ads. It's nuts. Whoa. Like, that's how they know. It's like, oh, you searched for NyQuil and like now you're getting all these NyQuil ads. Or it's like you're talking about NyQuil and you search something related. So it's like if you even like if Facebook's listening or Amazon Alexa's listening, you know, they're hearing you say that and they're like, oh, advertise for them. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I was in my business, uh, one of my business classes was it? business systems. Our professor, he's like super high up. He like has whatever lunch with the CEO of Google all the time. And he was telling us that Amazon, Loki, 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 yeah, he's, he's so smart. It's ridiculous. Like he was saying that Amazon is trying to implement a program where it's like, if you're hovering your mouse over a certain item, they will ship it to your town in anticipation of you buying it. So that it will be there faster for you, but you yeah. don't have you don't have even bought it yet. But they're already hovering shipping it to you. mouse, and yeah. that's that's all Amazon's play. You know, making that delivery system as yeah. fast as possible, and then so you got companies like Walmart, Target, all of them trying to beat that logistical, you, uh, you know, output. But it's so hard because Amazon has their information on lock, and they they, they take that information and use it to, uh, I guess, your advantage, the consumer's yeah. advantage, and getting all those products out as fast as they can on uh, Amazon Prime Day. You know that huge like prime sale or whatever the fastest package delivered somebody ordered it and got it 13 minutes later 13 13 minutes later for free yeah, yeah they, they free also delivery. got the drone thing uh coming out too amazon is testing uh i was reading this book it's called swipe to unlock great book if you know people out there want to uh learn about uh, yeah. you know layman's terms of, of technology and business what it talks about it there is that Amazon is putting together drone trials in UK so that what basically instead of getting a person to deliver your item, you have a drone that takes the item from the factory and delivers it to your doorstep. So if you think about, you know, uh, metropolitan cities like New York, right? There's so many people and there's so many houses, right? If you had a drone to take the uh, item from a factory from like Connecticut, it can just... Wow. So that's cutting out... Uh shipping yeah, that's, businesses that's just saying everything is amazon we don't use ups anymore it's just amazon factory to store to you can also, that's kind of like just in time delivery too it's like you kind of cut out the inventory like drop shipping that's yeah, like yeah. ultimate drop shipping <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's make it for you and just drop it off your house right yeah, remember back when you would order something online probably when we were kids and it would take like two weeks to a month to two months and you weren't really sure when it was going to come and then and it was kind of big when you could track it you could finally yeah. track it like oh, okay it's here now it's here. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to order this. Ding dong. <laughs> yeah. I ordered like some laser pointers on eBay way back in the day. It took three months wow. to get to my house. And it was like straight from China. And it was like three months. I was like, oh, they're, they're not coming. And like three months later, I was like, you got a package. I was like, oh, my God, it came <laughs> after all this time. That's exactly what happened to me. I just ordered shoes from China. And I like ordered them in uh, January. What kind of kicks? Uh, Dior's. Okay. Dior's. But uh you know, I'm still waiting for them. <laughs> <laughs> that is nuts. Like it's crazy because for them, the money isn't in like air shipping it. It's all in the shipping containers. Like boat it over. It'll take forever, but it's so cheap. They're going to do it. Hey, China plays long game. Yeah. They're not here for instant gratification. You know, yeah. that's why this, you know, Corona is a conspiracy. They're buying up American markets. They put it out on purpose. They're taking over the world. Just saying it's a possibility. <laughs> I mean, you got people thinking that 5g is, is, is causing coronavirus you know i mean if people don't people who don't know 5g basically if you go to china they're able to track wherever you are at all times you know without really the use of your phone or anything because they got cameras 
all over this all over the country or all over cities like you know wuhan and can track you like hey you know this person's here and Whoa. that's expediting that and chi- china's like all on that 5g grind i mean america's still far behind that because that's, there's a lot of privacy issues behind a lot that, of privacy issues right like no americans don't want to know don't want people to know where they are at all mm-hmm. times i think that's why in california we don't have speed cameras because it's a, it was filed under invasion of privacy mm. for looking into your car also with 5g <laughs> Uh, here we're a lot slower too because you have to put in the infrastructure. They have to put in those those like rebooters everywhere. Like you can see some of them for like telephones and stuff like that. But it's basically this. It reamplifies the the signal. And but the, all from those is what the radiation comes from, or like the five G denser frequencies that everyone's afraid of. But honestly, with those two, it's interesting because nobody knows. Because well, it is it's more energy around people. I mean, in London, I think it was in London. It was definitely in England. They was like people thought that 5G was causing coronavirus. There was like this whole like fake news thing that went around, and they were like burning and like destroying 5G towers. Like exactly. there's like pictures of like 5G towers completely destroyed. And to a lot of people who don't understand cell phones at all or anything about technology, you see something new go up. All of a sudden, it's like you know, it's like the gods being crazy. You know what I mean? It's like Great oh, movie. we saw a meteor or like the rain's coming, and now. We're rained on. We're upset. It was the gods who did it. Same thing with tech, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. That's how, how it's kind of becoming. Gonna, how are you going to connect technology to, like, a virus? You know, it makes yeah. no sense. But if things like we are of the lucky few who are gone to college, sure. finished high school, like, had good education, there's a lot of people who didn't have that. You know, I know. Like, and Reddit Reddit is not helping sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you got you to gotta watch what you read online. I feel like to, now, again, it goes back to data science. You have so much information out there. Uh, even the ethical side of data science is that you have to know what information is right and what information is wrong. Even on your Facebook feed, any social media feed you go on, the information that you are getting is going to be much different from the information that Emerson's getting or Braden's getting. And that influences how you think, how you act, and uh, you know how you live your life. And so you know, social media is great, but it's, you know there's a fine line in between what's good and what's bad. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful tool. It's got to be used in a certain way. That, but the thing you were saying about the cameras, I just wanted to add one piece. That same teacher who was telling me about the Amazon thing, he was saying that that camera program that tracks people, they basically had someone, they're like, try and escape us. Like, you can use any means necessary, try and escape us. And it didn't even last 20 minutes. Yeah, they're no like, way. They're like, we, they're like, we're not tracking you. Go somewhere and we'll try and find you. And they found him in like two minutes and he got people to him within 20 minutes. And that's why the Bourne movies are so sick. Yeah. <laughs> like, could you imagine if the entire nation was after you? Now you you're you can't. No. There's no way you could escape. Maybe bury yourself. Maybe <laughs> bury yourself. <laughs> but mean, even then, they could probably find you. The thing is, you. like, you can't even cover your face because they can, like, track your gait, like how you walk. Yeah. Like, oh, like, you move a certain way, like your arms swing a certain way, like how, how far apart your steps are. It's all like, and it does it in real time. Yeah, a lot of data. Uh, like uh, On like the big data side of things, and you're saying of media, me and my GF were talking about the other day of, as humans, what we're really good at is writing things down to pass on to the next generations. Like everything that we have read and everything around us has been created by someone and preserved. And you can go on and go forth. And that's why books and libraries were so important. And if like a library got burned, people, it was really actually bad because you lost a lot of information. But nowadays... Everyone can make information because it used to be the information that was out there had to be credible because you had to go through so much effort into producing like a book or something like that. And now we are producing more media than ever. And that like 
pie chart is becoming like 5% important stuff that the next generations need to know about. And 95% is just memes, TikToks, everything like that. And where is that all going? I mean, you might know where big data goes. I mean, uh, like, from, is it just from, in like a warehouse somewhere? My, yeah. So for my experience right now, cloud uh, storage is the really big thing that's happening, right? So which to us is like big, it's yeah. And so space. for the uh, average person, cloud computing, a uh, cloud storage doesn't mean that it's in the clouds. Basically, what it's saying is that back in the day, you had companies have their own uh, servers, you know, and that's where all the information was stored. All the big data was stored for that company, right? So let's say, uh, your transactions, uh, history, all your purchase history, that's all stored in the servers at a server warehouse for a specific company, which is just big computers pretty much. Big yeah. You, have, you go into this warehouse and it's just big blocks of like, it's like, you know, you see in the movies where you have big blocks of, uh, of cylinder blocks that are just servers. Okay. And those servers have all the information out there. Okay, yeah. of, of the consumer. Okay, now cloud com- cloud storage is basically you have AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, and then you got uh, Microsoft Azure, which is another cloud storage uh, company. What they do is that we're going to have uh, big locations, let's say uh, uh, Texas, California, uh, in different regions, right? And we're going to have a big uh, warehouse of all these servers, right? And now these servers will, will take your information Let's say I'm a startup company, right? And I, I don't want to pay for my own infrastructure to have servers built and you know store my own data in my own warehouse. That, that takes a lot of money and that takes a lot of time. What they'll do is they'll go to these bigger companies like AWS and Microsoft Azure. There's also Google Cloud uh, Storage. And they'll go to them and say like, hey, we want to give you our information. Can you store our information? Okay, and so those uh, big, big companies, they have places where they have the uh, servers and, and they'll store your information for you. That's what I was, yeah. I was hearing. It's like also, it's like, so basically if you have your own dedicated server, basically if your traffic spikes, like if you get something, something goes viral and your traffic spikes, you have no, you either, you have to install new servers to handle that traffic. But if you do cloud, it's basically automatically providing you more server space on the fly and it's reducing your server space. So it makes it cheaper because you're not always gonna have constant traffic. So when you have less, you, have, you require less, you have to pay for less server space. When you have more, you pay for more. Like Netflix, on any given day, Netflix at five, after five o'clock is 80% of all internet traffic. Really? Yeah, and so it's like, that's why it's like, Netflix is killing it. Like you can say other all these other streaming services are coming in. Netflix has unlock. Like, yeah, and that and that's exactly what the book talks about, Swipe to Unlock. Yeah. They talk about Netflix as an example. They're using these companies, I think they use AWS. Or, uh, yeah, they do you know, AWS. Yeah, and they use them as the cloud storage for them. And for exactly what you said, when the spike hits up, then the storage power uh, becomes more useful, right? If you have your own servers, then you have to pay for all that infrastructure cost and for all those spikes in at certain times of storage uh, use and and when it doesn't, then you're not paying for anything. And so you're so. saying Amazon uses cloud as well. well yes, because that's yeah. what they do. They're they're not hosting it themselves. It's going through well, no, they're, AWS. They're, they're, well, AWS is Amazon Web Services. Okay. Yeah. So it's like they have all these warehouses of servers, and it's like Netflix only uses 10% throughout the normal day, and then at five o'clock they're using 80%. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it goes back down. So they're paying for 10% all day, and then they're paying for 80%. Gotcha. They're paying for 10%. Gotcha. Rather than paying for 80% I see, the to whole have time. this be all of your, yeah. your all of your storage to have all the time. Because you have to be, mm-hmm. you have to have enough cloud or space on your server for the for the max. Otherwise, you would crash your server. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you'd have to pay for the max all the time. And so these, so these are like streaming. Like, what about like if I just put data? So say like like right now, I can have cloud data for Apple, right? I pay a dollar a month and I get like 50 gigs of space. 
and I just put data over there. Is that the same sort of thing as streaming through cloud or no? Well, I think when you're buying space or whatever, yeah. they're like giving you, it's like, this is what you're allocated. And it's like, if you use it, you use it. Where It's like, this is your locker. Yeah, kind, kind of. of. And it's yeah. like, you can have this space for whatever, your dollar a month. Where streaming is like, you have all these servers hosting the videos. And then it's as people need them, they're transferred to more servers mm -hmm. to be used. You can correct me if I'm wrong, honestly. Uh, yeah, that's exactly correct. You know, like you said, streaming takes more energy, more storage power. Your little, you know, 15 gigs or whatever, 15 gigs is not going to... 50. <laughs> 50 gigs <laughs> is not going to take too much storage up, you know, using Apple. But, I'll get, you know, I'll give you an example. I was working at Albertsons companies this past summer as a data science intern, and they were in the transition of... Uh, they had all their data in their own warehouses in Phoenix, Arizona. They're in the process of shifting all of their data onto Azure cloud platform. And so what that did was that cut a lot of infrastructure costs, but it also cut jobs. So a lot of network engineers have to find new jobs in, in Albertsons companies because, you know, they don't need to maintain this storage space for Albertsons anymore, which Azure or Microsoft in their case was it's doing becoming, Yeah, them. it's becoming a more efficient way of holding yeah. data. If you guys want to check this out, this is the Orbiside thing. So basically I visited ESPN.com. And these are the third parties tracking my stuff for advertising or whatever, just collecting my data. And then, oops, this is what happens when I went to Google. I just like when I imp open Google, a new window. So you're saying just by then, opening Google, all of those and then, uh, websites are. This was Anchor. I just like refreshed Anchor. Gotcha. When for, I hey, for the listeners out there, so what we're looking at is it's called Orbit. Orbis Eye. Orbis Eye. And it basically shows each of the websites he's gone to and how many. There's like little lines coming off and how many different are those websites right there? Yeah. So how many different websites are tracking him on that exact website? And then I went to Fox News and these are all of the third parties tracking me from Fox <laughs> News. And we're seeing and like imagine an atom with a bunch of electrons around it. There's like over it's, 120. Yeah. And then basically so these ones connect. So Anchor connects through the same whatever fonts.gstatic.com and then they have another one, like Reddit is tracking your anchor because podcasting is really popular with Reddit. So you get a lot of ads for, for that. So if I went on Reddit, I would get podcasting ads now. And so it's like, and then those ones connect with these ones, which connect to ESPN. And so they're all share. That's how they share this data like that. Crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that take your information and use, uh, uh, I think this, this is a company called Jumpshot, but basically what they do is they take the information out there and they put together advertisements that, they give out to bigger companies saying like, Hey, this is the information we got. This is the advertisement that I think would be useful for your company for this demographic and or whatever. for this demographic. Yeah. So that, that it's all out there again, so much information out there. People want to, people want to take that information, know how to use it, uh, make predictions, make advertisements just to better understand ultimately people. And that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. Down to a, like a T, um, through statistics, <laughs> but are they, I mean, I imagine that's probably a pretty good business to go into right now of investing into storage places just out in the desert, just like big old super, or I guess desert wouldn't be good because it's hot. Yeah. Right? I mean, right now everything is down. So it's like, like, yeah, I'm saying like big picture though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, big picture cloud is definitely the way to go. Um, you're going to see a lot more companies, bigger companies like Albertsons, they moved all their infrastructure to the cloud. So uh, cloud is the way to go. Are there specific like cloud companies or is it like AWS? AWS? It's like, through, it's like and Google. Google. Gotcha. And Isn't that where Ali Amazon makes actually yeah, most, most of their money, their money is through, through data? AWS. Yeah. 
And then uh, Alibaba, I think, just started. It was, it's either Alibaba or another company in China that just started like a huge cloud platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember, Donald Trump got into that argument with Jeff Bezos over the Washington Post because Amazon was supposed to receive the the government, the CIA, DIA, all their cloud hosting, defense cloud hosting. Mm-hmm. And basically, because Jeff Bezos got into a fight with Donald Trump, Donald Trump said, I want to screw over it. Jeff Bezos, give it to Microsoft. And so Microsoft became competitive in the cloud market because... Because they got the government. Because they got the government's (laughs) contract. Public gigs. Yeah. (laughs) Politics, man. I mean... so whack. Oh, sheesh. Um, But yeah, is there... So with all this data being created and obviously space is being filled up and so they're building more space and cloud is making it more efficient to hold things. But is there ever like cleanup? Because I'm kind of like envisioning right now is we have all this space almost like us polluting our environment now but just pollution of data like we have so much useless information being stored in places is there anything that is implemented to clean out like null storage stuff that's not being used at all yeah i mean you know one of the interview questions that i've gotten is like let's say you have your gmail right and people don't really delete their mail right how can you uh, you you know make efficient storage out of that so companies will put together or like google they'll have ways to handle uh unused storage maybe they archive it maybe they trash it but there's different ways you go around it ultimately at some point data like there's going to be so much data out there that you're going to have to clean it at some point so uh, whatever the company wants to do then they'll go ahead and do that but uh it all depends on on what company structure you're taking talking about yeah because i mean that'd be an interesting uh product or program something that basically was the cleanup robot that would go through and like yeah and they probably have it you know it's the hard part to recognize which data is needed to be kept and Mm -hmm. which data is needed to be okay ultimately destroyed but but that's that's the problem you gotta solve though because the thing is that's the i mean same problem we're having with our earth right now of like just too much population creating too much waste and how do we clean it up because nobody wants to stop and clean it up I don't want to stop and delete my emails. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, but also if you look at that, uh, if you look at your Gmail, I think there's only X amount of gigabytes you get up to, right? Then you have to purchase more gigabytes. Okay. Yeah, I think so I can pull it up right now. We have whatever it says at the bottom. We have 15 gigabytes. Yeah. We use 3.81 right. of 15 gigabytes. Okay. Gotcha. So then you, you know, you have to, you'd, you'd have to buy more um, or you can start deleting emails. Yeah. You know? But I think the smart thing to do is always, you know you never want to have clutter wherever you are so the smart thing to do is go in your gmail go in your computer and just delete files that you think won't be necessary or put it up put it on a hard drive and and back it up and and then you know use your computer just out of sight out of mind just put in the closet yeah (laughs) it's crazy to me like clutter and like your email it's like you know all those like data breaches that you hear with companies? Mm-hmm. I think there's a website, I'm pretty sure it's like haveibeenhacked.com, basically where you put in your email and it's like how many times your email has been involved been in a breached. data breach. Whoa. And it's like basically like all these companies that have these breaches, whether they make them public or not, it's like these is sometimes that your password and email have been exposed. It's crazy. Like we did it in one of my classes and this girl had like 2,000 because she's always signing up for things. She's always putting her email in things. And all these companies have had breaches. And then like the companies that buy the data from them have breaches. So you can have like, even if you put your email in one company, four companies can have breaches. From yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Bought. Like data security. Uh, I remember, I think I was in high school, maybe early high school. Uh, back when I was in Vacaville, we had, we were playing basically PS3. And P3 
PS Sony had a huge breach where someone got in and like stole everyone's credit cards. That was part of like PS3. Capital One, I think, that had a data breach too, also in this past summer. So, again, data is uh, taken very seriously anywhere you go because you don't want your information just out in the about or in yeah. the hackers. And hand. I think it's I think the good thing though is they're starting to understand how valuable data is and that it's not something that, oh yeah, they can just collect your data for free. You know what I mean? Like they're starting to realize of how much you can tell from someone. With PG&E right now, they're uh, like with the grid. Basically, they're starting to implement a, um, what is it basically? So it's like monitoring your usage throughout the day to basically understand when you use your energy and everything like that to allocate energy on the grid. Like if you're not going to use that much on this side of town and this whole town's not using that much, we can allocate that energy elsewhere at these times. But the problem is if someone were to get into and look at this data, by looking at someone's energy use... You can tell a lot about their life. This is the, exactly the time they get home from work every day. This is the time you wake up every day. This is when you're asleep because you're plugging in your phone. Like it's like when you break it down to like just data behind the everyday life, you can predict so much. And that's where machine learning comes into a big play, right? For people out there that don't know what machine learning is, is that like Braden talked about, there's you have set patterns, right? You know when someone's going to use their phone. You know when the energy spikes are going up in a spurt, in a in a specific amount of uh, area, right? Machine learning is going to take all those data points and going to predict what's going to happen in the future. So knowing, let's say for two months, three months, four months, this area is, is having spikes at 5 PM every single day. Machine learning takes those data points and saying, okay, they're mo more likely than not to have energy spikes in the future at 5 PM. Right. So then you can take that and allocate different uh, allocate energies at different areas at different amount of times. And that's where data becomes so powerful for, uh, you know, any situation. So taking the data, using machine learning to predict what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Just so you know, Braden, the website is uh, have I been pwned dot com. And Braden, your email has been pwned one time. You had one breach site and it was Evite. Evite, uh -oh. Evite breached your data. Evite did. Evite. Like th literally the company that you get tickets from for concerts. Yeah, in April 2019. So recently. What did I do in April 2019? Concert. Lib. It could be lib. Could be could be lib. Crazy. Sheesh. Stay safe, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're Stay out there, bro. <laughs> Protect your email. <laughs> it is crazy. But what's interesting to me is like has slow pot email been breached? Oh, you know? I hope not. We haven't. And if you guys, have, I know it's you guys listening. <laughs> it's one of you guys. But about that machine learning, I don't know if you ever watched like those videos on YouTube where they have like machine learning where they have like basically they have whatever cars that are trying to go around a track and they have like the computer learn. I don't know if that's like AI learning or machine learning, but it's like they try and have the car get around the track as fast as possible, but only no one's controlling it. Just the computer's trying to figure it out by themselves. Okay. And they have like 100 cars going at the same time and 99% of them fail. Like is this like a car on a computer screen is yeah, a car. Fake, okay. fake car gotcha. on the computer screen. Like, like, eight, this, like, is like, this is what <laughs> Tesla's doing right now. Just a bunch of cars, <laughs> like a track driving like nine Probably. cars around. Could be. But I mean yeah. like out of these hundred cars, one will make it. And so it'll choose that the program for that one car and do a hundred of those. And out yeah. of that one, one will make it. And then it'll eventually and get it It just going. runs the st statistics. Yeah, if this keeps this going, one keeps bot going. is right 5% of the time, the rest ones are right 0% of the times. So let's grab him, make a 90 of them. And see who does the best of those. And, yeah. and that's machine learning. You know, machine learning. The machine is learning 
your uh, characteristics, your observations, what you're doing, and it's training it so that it can predict what you're going to do in the future, right? Obviously, 100% of the time, it's not going to be right, but then that's what you have to do is tune the algorithm and tune how the machine is reading those data points so that it can make a better prediction. Until it's right 100% yeah, and, of the yeah. time, 99.99999% yeah. of the time. Is, yeah. is machine learning it learning from itself or it's learning from example? Like, is it being well, like... I mean, there's, there's, that, there's two types, right? Unsupervised and supervised learning, okay. right? So okay. in that case, uh, if you talk about learning from itself, or learning on from the data points, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one of them is learning from uh, the data points. And so you take, you know what some of the outputs are gonna be, right? Mm -hmm. So you have your training data. And what that means is that I have a whole bunch of data points, right? I'm gonna subset some amount of data points as my training data and the subset some amount of my data points as my test data. Now, what that means is that when I use my machine learning algorithm on the training data, I wanna see the accuracy that I'm getting. And in, the, in your case, like you said, that uh, you can see what the output is already going to be before, uh, you know, you, you have your algorithm in it. Mm -hmm. That's uh, one way of doing it. Okay. The other way is uh, the machine learning uh, learns on its own on what the output is supposed to be. I see. Have you, had, did you ever study like the AlphaGo thing with machine learning? It's super random. It's like basically Alpha is this game in, in China or Asia. Oh, okay. I heard about this and one. And it's like... They basically have Alpha Grandmasters. Apparently, it's like ten times more complex than, than chess. Chess, yeah. And it's, it's so, like a, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, it's go like ahead. it's basically like so. Basically, they had two computers doing it. They had the Alpha computer, which basically learned watched every game ever recorded from Grandmasters to try and play them. And then they had another computer called Alpha Go play itself. It didn't ever look at anyone else's game. It just played itself. And the the Grandmasters that played the Alpha computer. Like, they lost most of the time. The computer won most of the time. But the computer that played itself and didn't see any of their moves literally beat them 100% of the time. And they were like, we have no idea how to beat this thing. It's too good. because And it literally took it, like, two days. And it was like learn it just played itself, like, a million times over and over and over again to figure out the exact best strategy for every combination of moves. Yeah, there you go. You're Skynet. Learning, learning, yeah. learning, from its, well, learning from itself, you know. That's exactly what it was doing. It's crazy. Like, I was like, oh, they're taking over the world. I have this <laughs> deep with all of your studies in all this data science, what's the scariest thing you've learned? Like uh, something that's just like, like maybe that could be it. <laughs> Cause that's scary. Scariest thing. I think, um, I mean the Cambridge Analytica scandal was, I think pretty scary. I mean, just learning about that. Uh, I was in an ethics class at that time. So we talked a lot about it, a, a little bit about it. Um, that's like the scary part of data science is, you know, you gotta be cautious even as, uh, in the workforce, uh, you know, when you're looking at people's information and you're trying to help them in the future, you got to be cautious because I have ac like pe data scientists have access to a lot of data and it can be easily misused for their own benefit. And that's where the ethics parts come to it. So it, I think the scariest part of that I learned is that, you know, it's no joke. You know, data science uh, is is serious in any facet that you go into. So that was thing I think like that it scared me like you got to take take uh this subject seriously mm -hmm. what do you say to someone who like say oh i'm just an average joe i don't care about my data because i'm just me you know like it's like for like people covering their screens and stuff like that people someone could be looking through some people are just like i don't care someone look through someone take my data i mean that just goes back to your you know your values or whatever you <laughs> whatever yeah. you're com <laughs> whatever you're comfortable yeah. with you know like yeah. if you're okay with having your data out there then you know be all you know you want to risk it go ahead but if you don't then yeah, make sure you have your your stuff and your storage secured. Yeah. You always want to be secured in life. That's that's the most important important thing. So I think it's better to be safe than sorry. 
right? You don't want to wake up the next day and say on on your phone, oh my god, I ha- my my thousand dollars is just out of my bank account. How did that happen? Yeah, you don't want that. Right. So gotta better, lock your door at night. Yeah, yeah. Better to be safe than sorry. It's just like that. Yeah, that's, that's crazy because like, you, you there's so many ways that it can be used and you don't even think about it. Like the classic example I, I was told was like Fitbit accidentally exposed the location of every secret military base in the United States because they're all wearing because <laughs> all the mil- they had this challenge basically for people in active military like wear your Fitbit try and get this challenge win something and they had location data for all these people and it was breached and then it was like oh here's every location of every military person in the U.S. yeah sometimes you, like, know, you know you know go back to your example <laughs> the company ring right sometimes you're trying to use these companies the, the doorbell company yeah the doorbell company I don't know if you guys saw but a couple months ago they also had data breaches where people are hacking into their cameras and the cameras are looking into the living rooms of families and you have you know, it's, it's scary because oh, like, let's say you have a little child and they're, they're in their room. Someone is literally looking at what they're doing and talking to them through the ring ring uh, camera camera. Oh, and so, yeah. you, you know, you may think like, oh yeah, this is going to benefit uh, my security, but it can backfire easily. So gave you have to be careful. Literally. <laughs> literally gave me goosebumps. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Like, like, <laughs> I have oh, a my, ring. <laughs> I have four rings in my house. And there's nothing you can like, do. You, yeah. like, there's nothing you can do because that is the company's fault. You're taking, yeah. you're buying this product for the reason of security. So when the company screws up, there's nothing you can do except, you know, either get it refunded or go to court. And that's a lot of these families that they're doing is like, hey, you're, like you, you're, you're, you breached our data. Like that's not fair. So you gotta, you gotta pay the yeah. price. Yeah, there must be a lot of money going into uh, like data law. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a whole new field, probably. Yeah. That's what I found interesting. Is like I was reading something. It was like with your Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Apple Home, whatever, all those like basically the ones that are like you can wake them up by listening and stuff like that and user activity. The data from those can be used to map out your daily schedule. So if uh, say if a thief was like could map out, oh, this is when they're home. This is when they're making noise. This is when they turn on alexa this is when they use alexa so they can map out this is when they turn on their smart home lights this is when they turn them off it's like oh so this is when they are in the house this is when they're not in the house this would be the best time to go like statistically this is the best time because they're usually not home at this time mm-hmm. there's so much yeah, stuff. we're, we're in uncharted territory because a lot of these lawmakers you know this is all new to them so this whole field of data and how we're gonna go about it what's good what's okay what's not okay like that, that's going to take some several years of work and understanding, okay, this is okay for the, uh, you know, people, this is not okay for the people's privacy. And I think it's harder now than ever to regulate it because it's so vast. Anyone can go online and make a website and a product of some sort and like, boom, it's out there to everyone. You know, it's not just like, all right, we're going to shut down your car business. Like, you know I mean, like you just have a shop down here, you're making them at, you guys can't go and talk and you guys can't do this anymore. But there's so many new companies, new things popping up way faster than regulation can keep up with things. Yeah. Um, there was a guy here in San Luis, actually, and he had basically built a program that would spam Yelp with bad reviews on a business and drive it into the ground. And he would buy the business for pennies on the dollar because he'd driven the value down, buy it, and rebrand <sighs> oh it. What? Like, that's just, crazy. And that's like that's not even illegal. That's some like psychopath level thinking. Yeah, but I mean, it's like not illegal. It should be illegal, but that's yeah, not see, illegal. That's where ethics comes into play. So. Yeah. yeah. Like that's just like somebody who had the smarts for a computer and had the idea and had the know-how to just make that happen. But yeah, that shows too with big data of like individuals, not just companies – an amazing tool also. So say you do have your data collected and everything, and eventually we're going to be having smart homes. 
of it collects that data, just learns your routine. Oh, you like your you like to get up at exactly this time. This is when you get out of your bed. You can even have like pressure sensors on your bed. You know what I mean? Like oh, there's no more did, weight on the bed. Did your watch tracks yeah. your, my watch tracks my sleep. It then knows it, exactly when I sleep, when I should be your waking up. The fridge knows when it opens up. Yeah, you know man. where you grab, you know what time you like your coffee, you know. And that's where this should all go to. You know, the, yeah. the years in the future. We want to be able to use our data, even just on a daily life, our smart home, whatever it is, our smart watch, and use it to our benefit. You know, recognize like what are our tendencies, what are our patterns, and you know, get better from that. Right. So if I know that I have a, I, I, my mornings are, are not that great when I wake up. What is my data showing me? Like, okay, how am I sleeping? What time I wake? What time am I True. waking up? Right. Let's track my sleep and let's be, get, get better. Holding in to give you your best environment. Yeah, best environment and your and becoming your best. I self. like that. I like yeah, that a lot. That's very. I mean, the big data thing can be so helpful. Like literally, if you have an Apple Watch, you can get Sleep Tracker, and it's like you've been. And every morning when you wake up, it's like how how are you feeling this morning? Do you feel very awake, like groggy, or extremely tired? And you enter it every day, and it reads. It takes okay. This is when they were sleeping. This is when they were on REM. Everything like that, and it listens, and it's like okay, they were noisy, they were rustling, and it's like. This is how you can improve your sleep. Get well rested, get better rested. Like you sleep the best when you sleep from 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. versus 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. For like whatever reason, your body, that's its best rhythm. And so it's like you can totally use it for good like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the intentions for good, but also a lot of times intentions for power. Oh, yeah. You know, from behind the scenes, like we're going to put this company, but also on the side, we're selling data. This is what we're doing. We're a company that is here. I mean, isn't there a company out there that's literally just for, I mean, I guess Instagram, boom, Facebook, you know what I mean? If you're not paying for it, you are the product. And that's how a lot of these companies, Facebook, Google, they make their money through advertisements, you know, yeah. because the consumers are going to those websites all the time. Attention. You got screen time. Yeah. So that's, that's how they, they make their money. A big portion of it is advertisements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, especially nowadays people's, I mean, now, especially everyone's in quarantine there's more screen time than ever, more faces on phones. And I think, I mean, that's why if you look at like the stocks and like the, the tech industries, like Facebook and Zoom, Zooms, Zoom communications, Amazon, off. they're all popping off because they're loving this. Loving this. I'm trying to remember what it was. We'll, we'll cut this out. But my, my business ethics teacher was talking about how you can, if you're like, personal health data gets hacked that can be used in a certain way like against you or like insurance companies like without even asking you like what they're doing they're like they can jack up your rate or whatever and it's like all these different things for like your personal health data is like so critical god i gotta look that up yeah that's another spot for uh i guess a machine learning is surgeries and everything like that where you can't the thing cannot make a mistake it has had all it's washed all the surgeries and everything and it can have perfect uh, sleight of hand. So one oh, yeah. of the projects that I was working on during my uh, time at Berkeley is, uh, you know, recognizing uh, if a person has Parkinson's disease, right? So when when they you have all these factors, right? If what their speech rate is like, how are the hand how are the hands moving? Uh, just everything that has to do with Parkinson's disease, and that's the case where you're like you want to be hundred percent, right? When you go to your doctor and ask like, hey, do I have Parkinson's disease or not? Given that these amount of people in the past had these kind of uh, underlying factors like you know they had speech uh, problems they had hand problems in that case you want to be 100 percent right right because if you make a mistake as the doctor that's on you right and if you and if you go into the data and what is the prediction saying and it says that you're not but when you actually do have parkinson's disease that's a big big problem but other cases where like let's say is my loan going to default right 
that now that has some leeway like if i'm wrong on that if the machine learning algorithm is wrong on that then uh there's not a lot of big repercussions but for someone's health that there's big repercussions yeah really big repercussions absolutely uh, probably too now people can not people these big tech companies can monitor people so well and like the mass herds of people like twitter for example i mean do you know where the idea of twitter came from like that name twitter it's basically imagine a, like a mm. bunch of birds flocking and flying across all of a sudden one bird tweets and then all the birds twitter it and turn and so basically it's just like by one person saying something gets everyone else talking about it and can completely shift like ideology of people and but nowadays with being able to monitor if you have like a computer monitoring what people are saying, monitoring what people are doing, uh, you could predict the masses of people moving because it's just that perpetuation of if you say something, like there was definitely a, like, I mean, not to get like conspiracies and stuff, but like with like the Trump election and everything, like things that Russia did is they made, Russia does this now still, they'll make, you were telling me about this too, a bot farm. A bot farm, yeah, that's going to make a bunch of accounts and just start saying racist things or something like this about like being a persona of something. And I say I'm just the persona of like basically just a random person and a bunch of random people saying super racist things online. And I have this profile show that I'm this type of person. Like, oh, say I'm just a Californian from San Luis Obispo and makes a bunch of accounts like that. And everyone just is saying racist stuff online to make that other people start thinking a certain way about this sort of person. Well, that just happened. I was, the, what I was talking about was the Iran just launched like a bot attack on Twitter against uh, like basically saying California, like promoting California seceding from the United States. It was the strange thing, like literally hundreds of thousands of Iranian accounts saying Iranians for California, like secession, like and it was literally that was number one trending on Twitter a few weeks ago. And it was all just like Iran promoting California leaving the U.S. because California holds such weight. And it's like, oh, we're the fifth largest economy. So if we left the U.S., the U.S. is way less. The strange, like, like what a subvert attack. Like, what a strange thing like that, you know? If California was its own nation. Whack. <laughs> Pretty powerful. We got a lot of stuff going here. A lot of stuff going on here. <laughs> I mean, people's minds can be so diverted in every day, whatever they see online. I mean, for me, I barely use social media that much anymore because, mm -hmm. again, it goes back to the saying, like, you know, your mind can be easily diverted with the information you see. Easily. <laughs> Too easily. But as someone in data, if you were to give someone like one recommendation, like protect your data this way. Um, yeah, I mean, protect your data this way by changing your passwords frequently and backing up your data on a hard drive. That's that's the most basic way to protect your data, because hmm. if it's breached, if it's hacked, if it's deleted, you have ways to get get it back. That's right. Wow. Um, how about this? Because I know you're starting a podcast on people going into the workforce, especially into tech? Is that where? So yeah, basically my podcast is, it's called Solving the Mysteries to Success. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, so basically this whole idea is, you know, after college, you know, you really don't know what life is gonna be like. Whether it be your first job or going into uh, post-education opportunities, that first week, first month uh, in that lifestyle is very different from what college lifestyle is like. So I wanna help people visualize uh, in their head by talking to professionals in the workforce that just started working either in the field of tech, business, or going into graduate school in uh, medicine and have them uh, have the audience be able to visualize what is what is life like after undergrad, both socially, 
but also professionally or academically in some cases. Is this intentionally for specific companies or is this just anyone who just has just stepped into the workforce? I think it's morally uh, focused towards college students and uh, people trying to understand what that lifestyle is going to be like. So that, that's mainly my audience uh, niche. Cool. I think that's got a lot of value for it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's no college student who goes in the workforce knowing exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, like for me, um, like when I had my first internship, went into environmental engineering and went into that thinking I was going to, you know, be in nature, solving problems with trees and just being out there. And in reality, an environmental engineering firm is not quite that. I got my first internship, ended up in a cubicle somewhere. And I was thinking, I was like, how did I get there? But it was only through that where I went back to college. Luckily, it was an internship. And it's like, All right, I need to reassess and find it, what, did I, what it is I really want to do. Opposed, had I never even had that insight into what it could have been, I sign up for my job and then you're there. Yeah. I you mean, can't just like leave. Yeah, I've had a couple of different internship experiences. Um, you know, my first summer that I started interning was as a sales job. And then the second summer was as a data science job. So two different. With area, what company? Uh, first one was Smith & Associates, which is basically uh, they're a leading distributor, world distributor of electronic components. So like, you know, anything that's in your laptop, your microphone, just electronic components, they would sell, uh, ship them out. So I was a sales intern there. And then the second summer, like I said, I was at Albertsons as a data science intern. And so it gave me an opportunity to really see what I like and what I don't like. And ultimately, you know, I'm going into my full-time job as an associate product manager. And what I learned from my internship experience is that, okay, I do like communicating with people. I do like talking to people. I don't necessarily like to sit at a desk all the time. So that's what I found from my data science experience where I was able to solve problems. But my from my sales experience, I was able to communicate with people. And so that interlinking uh, mesh came in associate product management. Yeah, that's right. I mean, your podcast is going to bring a lot of value for that exact reason of getting people to even start thinking about what's after the finish line of their degree. Cause a lot of people don't even think about what life's going to be like. It's, Oh, I got the job. But when you get there, not actually thinking of the lifestyle, of the job, where you're living at, what's like commuting to work, even going to be like day in, day out deadlines, workplace dynamic. Cause going from college to an office, it's completely different. Yeah. And even making friends or, you know, having that social life, you're not in an area of your college town where you can just go next door and be like, hey, what's up, buddy? Uh, you want to hang out? But, you know, now in, in work lifestyle, you have a set schedule. You know, you have to ask people, like, hey, are you free at this time? You want to know if your company offers opportunities to meet people at your same age. So those all those things I wanted to vis- uh, showcase in this podcast that I'm doing and help people understand, like, okay, this is what life is going to be like, again, after undergrad. Yeah, I, would, I mean... It's hard for me, I guess, I guess could think about it, but you're right. Say if you're just yourself, you take some tech job up in Silicon Valley, you're living out there alone, say you're living in the Bay, you don't know your neighbors, you go in and then you're just grinding at work, just grinding, 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 and not, right, if a company doesn't have the opportunity or they're not facilitating ways for you to meet other people in the company and enjoy yourself, um, you could find yourself in a really complacent place. And that's why finding a company that proctors you making connections with people for long-term relationships throughout your career is, I think, an essential part of a business you join on to. Absolutely. What was cool is one of our friends, Chandler Mang, shouts out, 
um, he did an internship with Deloitte, and he said that basically for the first month and a half of his internship, like he had no idea what his job was, and he would he's like he's like basically everyone just walked around and networked with each other. He's like for the first month and a half, he's like we'd have little stuff. I'd do little stuff here, little stuff there, but you just go and meet everyone. Everyone who works there, it's like oh like what up? Like I'm Chandler. <laughs> and just like you just meet all these people and, and then you have a better sense of like, okay, these are the people I'm working with and you can talk to them about other stuff you're doing and like kind mm-hmm. of move up with these people. Yeah. You know, it all comes down to relationships at the end of the day, whatever workforce you're in or even in your social life or even in your family life, you know, for me to come back here and connect with you guys after four years, it's natural, right? The other day I was able to, I was on my couch calling people that I haven't talked to in four years talking to my teachers jim johnson as the asb jimmy director. J. yeah jimmy J as the asb yeah director. also i mean back it up deep good to see you man yeah it's awesome yeah. to be here guys honestly it is for those of i mean for those out there who know deep the man the myth the legend <laughs> but i mean for those who don't know uh we all went to slow high together and graduated and went off to college and didn't see each other very much until now like i haven't seen you since sophomore year yeah, I mean, lived on my column. yeah, I mean, everyone goes off in their different directions doing their own thing. I think college is really the way to go find yourself per se, but also find, uh, you know, people just become distant because of the location. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, I was able to call all these different people that I haven't talked to in four years and 90% of them picked up the phone to have a conversation with me. And that just shows that relationships can take you a lo- uh, a long way in life, you know? So even in your workforce, even if you don't know something, you got to always be able to ask a question because I think 90% of the people, they're genuinely wanting to help you succeed. And it's just you putting yourself out there to you know get that uh, help that you need to succeed instead of being afraid of putting yourself out there. Yeah, and I think everyone has a lot larger support staff than they think they do. And uh, people think- who would really like step out if you're in help. They would come to answer your need. And I think that also speaks, especially in San Luis, part of what we're trying to foster here is like that sense of community. It's like 90% of those people you went to high school with. Like I haven't talked to 99% of the people I went to high school with, but I know that 90% of those people would help me out. Or I, if, if we both had something where it's like, oh, like you're doing this, I'm doing this together. We could make this something. Yeah, let's collaborate. Would, any of them would be into it because mm-hmm. it's like there's this great sense of community. Mm-hmm. And that's like, exactly right. The network here is the awesome. network in St. Louis is top tier. Top tier. Like we were talking earlier, like in St. Louis, you're only one connection away from anyone. Yeah, I think it's uh, the population size, just the town. You know, it's not too big, not too small. You know, you know, you know everyone mostly in your high school. And, uh, you know, I think our high school experience was awesome because we were able to connect with so many different people. We had a good, diverse. We had a really uh, tight class. Tight class, you know, and... For me, I'm an Indian, uh, first-generation Indian student. You know, I came, you know, my parents immigrated here from India, uh, and I was born in America. But, you know, that vast difference of culture, I was able to understand my parents' culture, but also understand the American culture. And and that's really what I'm grateful for because, uh, you know, going to school every day at high school, that was a culture shock to my parents because they grew up in India and so they didn't have the same kind of lifestyle right so when I would go back home it would be the Indian culture that I was in but when I would go to school it was the American culture that I was in so I remember I, talking to you a lot about that uh that difference between your home life 
in your life you lived out at school. Yeah. Just completely different, different paradigms. Yeah, because, you know, my parents grew up in a different, uh, in, a, in a strict environment. Uh, people in India, they have uh, rules and regulations. And, you know, you go to school, you come back home, you do your homework, and you go to sleep, and you start the day again, right? Here in America, it's more about like, okay, you go to school, you do your thing, you go hang out with your friends, and, you know, you enjoy your life. And so that different of lifestyle, my parents really preached to me, like, look, school is everything. And I, and I do believe that school is everything to a point. But also, it's, you know, I was able to see from my friends that it's also about enjoying life. So I was able to both mix those two things. You know, I enjoyed my high school experience a lot, but I also enjoyed my Indian culture a lot because it taught me things that uh, family is super important. And, uh, you know, just the cultural and traditions that my family had, uh, I thought they were really cool. And that's that's something that I want to you know keep instilling in my future, too. Did yeah. your did your parents like really struggle with you, like going and hanging out with friends? Like, uh, I mean, my mom, I think my dad was very flexible. He he always let me go out and just do what I wanted as long as I had my academics on point. And so for him, it was like as long as you have your studies straight, then you can do whatever you want. As soon as your studies start, start falling, then I got to pull you back in and you got to focus on studies. My mom, on the other hand, she was very protective and she said, look, you know, like I, I don't feel comfortable you being at someone's house this late at night. And so like any mother, you know, she has that protective but that's because of her upbringing. You know, she didn't have the same kind of freedom that I had. So it was difficult for her to understand, like, OK, why is my son at, out at someone's house until 10, 11, 12 midnight? You know, what, he, what could he be doing? Because she didn't understand, uh, you know, that aspect. So that I think. Um, but then you come to a, you know, a agreement saying, like, look, it's OK. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. And so she was able to understand comes that. With trust. Yeah, it comes with trust. Hmm. That was actually one thing that that I found. I think it's probably very similar throughout every culture is like openness and trust with your parents it seems like very scary and for some people i'm sure it doesn't work if your parents are, are really strict but for me it was like when we were in high school like i remember i was like there was a party it was the first time any of us were gonna party i won't say whose house it was but we were like and i was like mom dad i'm gonna level with you there's a party tonight and i'm going but i want to be open and honest with you i'm gonna be drinking and i'm going i just want to tell you and they're like wow Thank you. Just be safe. Like, call us if you, something goes wrong, but just be safe and thank you for telling us. And it was like the weirdest moment of clarity because, like, most kids don't have that. I definitely didn't have that. It was just the weirdest moment where I was like, if I'm just open, like, I've got nothing to hide. If I got nothing to hide, I got nothing to worry about, you know? Yeah, I think that's the best way to go about it as a parent of making your child feel comfortable to share whatever it is they're going through with them, not try to control it. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to do what you're going to do. And I would love for you to look to me for wisdom. Like, cause I've been through it, you know, but understanding that this would be a non judging relationship. Obviously I can still bring down martial law if I need, <laughs> but it's the conversation of having it of why do we think this doesn't work? Why should we not be doing this? But also like, if you're gonna go party, understand, I understand what you're doing. As long as I know you're being safe. It's way better than you doing it and not even knowing that you're doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and speaking from my culture, Indian culture, um, you know, I kind of have the luxury of being a guy. I see my cousin's sisters at that age in high school, even in college sometimes, they didn't have that same kind of freedom because Indian girls were, I mean, uh, parents, Indian parents are very protective of their daughters. And I can see why, but it's because from their background in India, uh, daughters are not, they have the stigma of females are not supposed to be going out. They have a certain, certain, uh, 
uh, structure and rules that they have to be put in place. Man is the, you know, man is supposed to be going out and doing all the work, having fun. And obviously it's totally messed up, but you know, for my parents and uh, my, my, my aunts and uh, uncles, it was hard for them to grasp, grasp that idea of how allowing to have, allowing your children to have freedom and take control of their life because their lives were basically controlled their whole life until they were married. My parents, my mom's life was basically uh, managed and dictated by her parents until she got married. So that uh, change of mindset for their kids is, is extremely important, especially in first generation uh uh, ethnic students because a lot of the times their parents uh, their lives were controlled up to a certain point mm-hmm. you think it would be different if you were born in India and still lived in India like oh yeah definitely I think um, I mean again it depends on where I was born and where uh, if I had to go back and live my mom's life it would be very different because she uh, grew up in a small town uh, and my dad also grew up in a small town luckily my dad went off to a bigger city to attend college in India so I think life would be totally different if I was born in India as opposed to here because uh, I think I would be more traditional if I was in India rather than uh, if I was born here, I'd have more of an American uh, side to me. But yeah. like you're, you're saying that they're treating you this way, like you're, they're allowing you more freedom because they've kind of adopted the culture of more children with freedom. Yeah, yeah, than, yeah. I okay. think my mom said that she told me that she tells me all this, all this all the time. Like, I don't want you to abuse the freedom that I give you. I'm giving you this freedom because I never had this kind of freedom when I was your age. And so that's, that's, that's very important to me. I, I don't, obviously I'd never want to abuse the freedom that our parents give us, but that was from her perspective because she didn't get the freedom that she wanted. So she's like, I want to give my son the freedom that I always wanted. Nice. I think that's really impressive because I find that, I mean, you can see it with just about anything so many times that parents get treated a certain way by their parents. And so their natural instinct is to treat their kids by it. And so to see a parent step away from the tradition and be like, there's a better way. It's yeah, hard. But I think, I think it's, oftentimes too, it's either that way. It's either exactly the same or the complete opposite or like, like my parents did it this way and I don't want this for my kids, you know, which I think that's kind of almost what your mom has kind of been doing. Obviously a more of a gradual, you know, getting more and more trust in your freedom. Yeah. As you grow older, it has to be because, you know, the other thing that I, you know, don't like about Indian culture is that the dependency on each other, right? Um, the, the role of the male and the female is, you know, I think completely screwed up, right? In the Indian culture, uh, traditionally, at least for my parents, is like the role of the man is, you know, to take care of the family, make money, and, and uh, you know, be the man of the house, right? Provider. Yeah the provider the role of the female is you know cook clean and and be the social person in the family right and and you know make sure that relationships with other people in the uh, immediate family are doing well now that kind of roles that can't work in america because nowadays everyone has their own job Uh, people my age have my own job right girls my age have my own job they want to be able to be self-independent so that's the problem in Indian culture is that you're depending on too much of each other, right? Also, the problem is that your life in, in Indian culture is that your life begins once you're married, right? You can't find happiness or you can't see happiness until you're married. And that's a very flawed way to live life. I think in American culture, it does a really good job of making sure that you provide happiness to yourself. 
you can't depend on your happiness from another person or from marriage, right? Being together with another person. Everyone doesn't want to be alone, right? No one wants to be alone in life. But if you can train your body and your mind to be alone and be happy with yourself, I think you're going to get more uh, gratitude out of life rather than depending your happiness on someone else. And, th- and that's what you see in Indian culture. You depend on your happiness uh, through, a, through another person. Yeah, and I'd say you even appreciate the relationship more if you yeah. are self-fulfilling. Um, you're saying that the dependency on the relationship is huge. So does that mean, is there a strong infinite emphasis of romanticism? Yeah, definitely. It really is a very romantic... I, yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, my mom is always from, I guess, high school. She's always talking, just passing time with her, you know, uh, friends and saying like, oh, yeah, deep, I want to get deep married by 25, 26. I want to find a girl for him at this age. I want to, you know, I, I want this kind of girl for him. Like, your value in Indian culture is the type of person you bring in to the family, whether in terms of marriage. Interesting. Right? And that is so flawed, right? Because you... Your value is yourself. How you know what you're putting into your mind, what you're putting into your body. So you couldn't bring in like a wild card person, like if someone would, that was just completely doesn't fit the. Yeah, I mean, the people would judge. That's another thing in Indian culture. People judge, right? The the people in your immediate family or outside family, you know, the relatives, the elderlies, everyone is everyone has something to say. But at the end of the day, it's your life. You're gonna live your life. Judgments are gonna come every day in life. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what that other person has to say about the person that you bring in. Are you happy with that other person? Great. Are you are you alone and are you happy? Great. That's good. And mm-hmm. that's the way it should be. I agree. That's the way it should be. That's interesting, though, because nowadays, especially in California culture, you're not allowed to judge. Yeah. It's very much in the opposite where because of that, you're allowed, you should be doing whatever it is you want to do. It makes you feel happy. But we've created like a social thing where I can't judge you for your life decisions, even if they don't align with my values in Indian culture and religion. What do you guys believe in? Like what, you have like one God, multiple gods, afterlife. Yeah. So in Hinduism, heaven? you know, I'm Hindu. My yeah. parents are Hindu In Hinduism. There's a lot of gods. There's like, I think like 300 or so gods. Right. But it depends on who you worship the most. Right. So my mom, she's a big believer in uh, Satya Sai Baba. Right. He's a guru in India and from a long time ago. And basically, um, what they believe in is, you know, good work, uh, being true to yourself and, you know, karma is a big, uh, thing in Hinduism too. What you put out is what you're going to get, right? So if you treat someone bad, then you're more likely to get, get treated bad after, right? It comes, what goes around comes around is what my mom always says. So that's a part of karma. The other thing is afterlife, right? You're reborn into a different, uh, in species or, uh, type of person, right? So it's on the same world, just reborn. Yeah, yeah. So that those are the three things uh, in terms of Hinduism. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's one thing I've always wanted to like sort of research and kind of dive into is like Hinduism, spiritualism, Buddhism, just like trying to understand it. Because like my family, it was never like prevalent at all. And so it's like something that's like because it wasn't prevalent, I kind of want to like explore it more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, like, I've done some venturing in spiritualism for me. I, I, I'm starting to meditate every, every day for like 10 minutes. I think the benefit of that is you have so many thoughts throughout your day, right? You, you wake up and there's thoughts just flowing through your head. We never take a step, a second, especially this time around this time of coronavirus to just take a step back and just, you know, clear our mind. Because I feel like when you clear your mind, that's when the answers start falling into place. Right. Because a clear mind is a conscious mind 
is what I believe. So I think meditating could really help uh, anyone out there uh, if they're looking, if they're having problems in their life or just, you know, looking to stay calm and, yeah. and, and refreshing that mind. Um, probably about two, three years ago is when I first got exposed to meditation. Um, really good book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's uh, about basically it just teaches you how to become present, how to meditate, teaches you about your mind, about how you have all of your thoughts that you affiliate as you. But really, your mind is active and is creating these thoughts, but you're the viewer of your mind. You can not affiliate with these thoughts. Your mind's going to be going like popping off and all these, you know, like that little voice in your head. That's not you. That's subconscious. That's going all the time. And you can sit back, and that's like where they the mindfulness meditation, what they've claimed it as now, of just being mindful of your thoughts. And by watching your thoughts, you can get to know yourself better and understanding how certain things affect you and make you feel. But like what you're saying, for the point of high performance and clarity, that's what I've seen the most benefit of, of sitting down and spending that time to go, first off, slow down. Because especially nowadays, we're always thinking, we have so many screens Big data is getting us, you know, getting us all triggered on that dopamine, but backing off and like eventually when you sit down and you think or you're not thinking, slowing it down, just watching your thoughts go and you're going to go sort through all these things that you think about. And maybe today, if you do it today, you're going to think about what you ate today, how you ate too much, how that blah, blah, blah. Next day, you've already dealt with those thoughts. Those thoughts are going to be cleared and then they're going to be the next ones and then the next ones and the next ones until eventually you've gotten through all of these problem thoughts that have been in your head and then you can reach clarity. That moment of presence of where you're just right here in the cutting edge of the present, not in the future, not in the past, just experiencing what's right here. Absolutely. But 10 out of 10 recommend that book. Uh, really, really good book. Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. The guy, he I think he's German, but he sat on a park bench for two years and just to sit with his mind. Wow. That's not, tough. Man. Yeah. I'm not tough. saying I do meditation it, is not easy because you sit down and meditate it. Even for me, it's even tough because having your mind just cleared for 10 minutes, like your mind is so powerful that it, it, some thought is going to come into your head for like, mm -hmm. after in, in some point during those 10 minutes. So for people that can do it for hours on time, that's impressive. It's like discipline. I think it's it's crazy because I think a lot of people don't like to meditate because they try it once and all of a sudden they've started to focus on themselves and they realize, oh, I've got issues. Just like everyone else. But they're like, and they all flood in at one time and they get scared. They're, yeah. like, they're like, oh, shite. Like, I don't want to deal with this. But I think like, also too, uh, it's, so that's the thing is, so meditation is a practice. It's one of those things, you might do it right now, but I didn't feel it. But if the more and more you do it, it's a muscle. You get better yeah, and better yeah. at it. Opposed, we're very much in like the instant gratification era where it's like, I need to sit down and they say meditation is going to solve my problems. <laughs> I need to check my phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I need to feel something. It's, it's like backing out. And it's also a way to get away from influence of stepping away from like right now, I guarantee most people out there, your phone is your biggest influence. The things you're seeing on this thing are deciding what you want to do because you're seeing other people do it. But opposed if you were to sit down and you start to get to know yourself, you start to get to know what ideas come through to like, what is it that you want to do? You're sitting here doing nothing, nothing. And you have no obligations and you're right here, but what is it that you would want to do? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, people don't take the time and really think about, uh, themselves. I think 
you know, after this relationship, after this breakup, it's given me a lot of clarity on thinking about myself. A lot of my time, I depended ha my happiness uh, through others. And uh, you tend to forget that your happiness really lies within. You really control how you feel at all times of the day. Your emotions don't control you. You control your emotions. So, you know, like you said, Brayden, people, most of the times, they don't take a step back and just think about uh, what they want instead of think they think about, you know, what other people want or what other people want for them. And so, or what they think other people want for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perceived. Like, yeah. Whatever you perceive yeah, someone so, wants. And, that, and that's the whole thing about Indian culture, right? Indian culture, uh, you know, like I told you, my parents' life was dictated by their parents, right? So nothing was in their hands fully for them to control. So now I'm in an opportunity where I get to control my life. And this is so different because they don't, they're not, you know, controlling, uh, my life so i have to be able to take initiative and in, in what i want and so uh they think that you know the person that i bring in then you guys will be able to find uh clarity and what you guys want to do in life but that's not how it works you got to find clarity within yourself before you find clarity with with someone else you know a relationship is supposed to complement you not um uh it's not supposed to be necessary yeah they say uh shit in equals shit out <laughs> if you go into it and you're already you're not have your stuff covered it's not going to make the relationship any better that's full circle to back to data garbage in garbage out that's what, <laughs> that's what my my business like uh business science teacher was always talking was like garbage in garbage that out. that even goes into big data on your mind like you got to clear it you got to delete the emails and that's also like i mean big data is the hive mind clutter you know? clutter clutter if you have your mind if your mind is full of clutter then you're not going to be able to you know think clearly mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. um what else do i want to say you know, going back to your point about subconscious, I was reading this book. It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. What they talk about there is that your subconscious mind is like a, is a wild monkey on the loose, right? The, if you're able to train your subconscious mind, because the way it works is that your subconscious mind is basically your mind. You're telling your mind what to do at all times, right? So if you're able to train your subconscious mind on what you want, then your mind will be able to tell you on on tell tell you those things that okay, these are the things that I want, and it's gonna it's gonna become like a a cycle. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Um, yeah, I'd say since I started meditating like a long time ago, obviously I'll go, I mean, I'm not Gandhi. I'll go in and out of times in my life where I'm really disciplined on it. And each time I'll have like bigger, uh, like times where I get better at it and get really good at it and start to really accelerate in my life. Cause it's a discipline. It's hard to cut out that time to do nothing. Um, but throughout my life of that, what you're saying, training the monkey is that I've been able to train it to the point where I'm very happy often, you know, it's not very, it's no longer volatile kind of like my emotions are going up and down and down. It's more of just like more steady, more bigger, slower waves of I'm getting happier. You know what I mean? Now I'm like sustained, long sustained periods of happiness. They'll come down into it, but opposed of just having that jumping up and down, getting triggered by your phone, triggered by these things you're seeing. It's all about being non-reactive to your environment. Waves, man. Everything comes in waves. Everything comes in waves. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Indian culture is great. I love... <laughs> I love <laughs> sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. <laughs> yeah, some things I love about Indian culture is that, you know, they teach you a lot of uh, great things about family, uh, sense of worth, uh, you know, uh, putting things back into life, uh, doing things for others. Those are great things. Uh, it's just sometimes, you know, going through that uh, different lifestyles of American lifestyle and Indian lifestyle. Indian lifestyle, like my parents, 
my mom is constantly on the phone checking up on others and checking in like, hey, like, what are you doing? And keeping those relationships tight, right? We she tend cares. To, yeah, she cares. And it's genuine care. But at some point you forget, okay, like if someone's not reaching out or someone, if you're not, it, like it's okay to not communicate and talk with someone all the time. What's important is for you to focus on yourself and, you know, just be happy with yourself. And so in Indian culture, you really, again, it comes out to dependency of relationships with others. And um, American culture is really dependency on yourself. So mm-hmm. that finding a balance between the both of them is super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to segue into you, Deep Mystery, big data. That's pretty cutting edge. Like you said, you were the first, the first person to graduate from this new program at Berkeley where are you dreaming? Where are you wanting to go? What are you wanting to do with your yeah, career? You know, yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. So the way I got into the data science program, when I got into Berkeley, I was scheduled to be like a business major. Uh, you know, then I thought, you know, I want to challenge myself because uh, again, my parents are in the motel hotel industry. And so I've had the background of business uh, growing up. So I was like, you know, let me challenge myself and, you know, do something technical in computer science. When I started doing computer science, you know, it was difficult because I'd never seen... I never put myself in these in this position of you know trying to pro- solve problems critically, and so they have a GPA cap of three point three, and I was unable to make that cap. So then I was like, okay, I can't do business, I can't do computer science because I didn't make the cap. Now I got to find a different major. So what I went ahead and did was like, okay, CogSight can be a good solution. What well, CogSight is basically um, your psychology intertwined intertwined with computer science. And so I was like, okay, this sounds cool. But then data science came out. And like we talked about before, data science is the intersection between computer science and statistics. And so I I got into that. And um, the cool thing about that is that I was kind of like a guinea pig in the program. What I mean by guinea pig is that these classes, like the first data science classes, I was the first student taking them. So I was able to give feedback to the professors, like what was working, what wasn't working, and so that they can take that and put it out to the next uh, cohorts of classes that of the same uh, subjects. And then so after the after my undergrad, I was able to find that like I really liked communicating with people, talking with people, uh, solving problems with each other. And so that became into product management. And product management is really the center of, you know, let's say you have your product like Facebook Messenger. That's a product within Facebook's company. Like Facebook has a lot of different. You're uh, saying there was a project team within Facebook that was working on launching Facebook Messenger. Yeah, Facebook Messenger. Now the product manager is really the customer advocate for the customer, and they talk to the designers, the engineers, and the and the data analyst and the shareholders and say like, hey, how can we make this product beneficial for the customer, but also beneficial for the company's vision and company's shareholders. Right. So you're 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 in the intersection between all those different teams and you're guiding on you're guiding uh, the the product launch from idea into 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 market. And so that's what a product manager does. And that's why I liked it, because it was an intersection of all the things that I like to do, solving problems, uh, communicating with others. And every day is different on the job. And so now I, I inter- so I, again, I talked about my internship experience after my internships experience. I didn't want to sit behind a desk, but I didn't want to just talk to people constantly. So that's where product management came in. I applied to different jobs. I was able to succeed and land a job at Visa in their APM program, Associate Product Management. And so I'm starting that in June. Uh, but after that, after two years, um, 
you know, I want to become a, 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 like a senior product manager. And then after a couple of years, I'm looking into going to grad school for business. And then, you know, eventually the goal is to climb the ladder, rank, climb, the, climb the ranks and yeah, and, and really make an impact at any company that I'm at. Cool. seems like uh, you're on track for that. It's cool because we're kind of doing something similar, but backwards. You're doing data science as an undergrad and then doing a master's in business where I'm doing a undergrad in corporate accounting and finance and I'm trying to do a business analytics masters. Yeah, and so that's everywhere. Business analytics, again, data science is the new wave. I think anyone that's trying to get into the corporate ladder in terms of tech and business, you uh, you know data uh, data skills are super important. If you can be able to read and understand data, you can add a huge advantage to a company. Right, yeah, you're saying so pretty much it's business now in tech is becoming data analytics. Yeah, because, you know, you want to be able to understand the consumer. Mm -hmm. Business people in the company, they want to be able to understand their consumer and then uh, get something out to market that that is, uh, you know, adds profit. Mm -hmm. We ask pretty much we ask this of all of our guests that come on. What is your favorite book you've ever read and or one that you'd recommend? Favorite book I've ever read. I've been reading a lot lately. you know, I think right now my favorite book is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Like what I like about it is like we're constantly we're constantly giving a fuck, you know? We're constantly caring on what other people are saying, what other people are doing, what other people like what our success is, what our happiness is, all dependent on other people. At the end of the day, if you don't care, right? I mean, don't care to a point, but like just care about yourself mm-hmm. and know that you're doing enough. That's all that matters. We'll add them to the reading list. Yeah, man. That is, honestly, I've taken up reading a lot. Yeah, I didn't read a lot. I, Audible too is pretty great if you're into audiobooks. Um, but like, it just gives you a perspective on, you know, what what. There's so much information out there, and there's a lot of good information. If you can just take that in and absorb it, that that could be really beneficial. Especially for good information. So much bad data out there. But the the beauty of a book is that someone probably put a good portion of their life in the sense of like a year, two years, three years, writing this little bit of wisdom that they figured out in their life that they just need to pass it on. They need to give it on to the next person. And it's less of just like, I'm going to vent on this post. Boop. Yeah. I mean, one of the idols I really look up to is Kobe, man. Kobe Bryant. I mean, rest, rest in peace. Uh, you know, passed away in January. He always, I mean, you know me, I was a really big Kobe fan in high school. I still am. But if you just look at his work ethic, even during his NBA career, but even after, he never looked to stop growing, you know? And I think that's the most important thing that people lose sight of, uh, whether it be after college or whether it be, you know, into their mid-30s or 40s. You know, we stop learning, you know? And when we stop learning, I think we become stagnant. And then that's when we become like, okay, well, like, what are we doing with our life? I mean, if you're not evolving, you're devolving. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Yeah. And, that, and that's um, another book. It's called Mindset. They talk about growth mindset and fixed mindset, right? You can have a fixed mindset and just like be complacent in the way you are living life. But then that time over time, you're going to be dissatisfied with the way you're living life because you realize at some point, like, damn, I just stopped growing. You know, but the growing mindset is like, hey, like, okay, I'm making mistakes, but I'm still learning from them. And then you're you're able to uh, you're able to keep growing in your mindset and and, uh, achieving new levels of happiness or success or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I mean, to shout another book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. um, By Stephen Covey. Super good book. Really hard read. Really hard read. It's like pretty dull, but it just teaches you everything from like making a schedule. Basically, just seven habits that if you follow these seven habits, 
the sky's the limit, right? But the last one is live your life in crescendo, meaning that's it's a music term to get louder and louder and bigger and bigger as you go. Don't stop getting better. Don't stop trying. Don't stop applying yourself and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations because the moment you stop doing that, you stop having new experiences. Yeah. When you stop having new experiences, you find yourself complacent and unhappy. Yeah, I think right now with coronavirus and, you know, I just had two surgeries in the past year, uh, you know, getting my gallbladder taken out. And oh, then, wow. Yeah, and then I got my spleen taken out. Oh, uh, wait, so you're, you're feeling light. Yeah, I got a lot of, I got three organs out of me. I appendix also, hey, do, but that was have, a long time ago. Do you have any ago. scars? I mean, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Oh, man, did it hurt? Um, so, I mean, I'll tell you about that experience. So, basically, um, last June... I was in Berkeley. Uh, no, sorry. Last May, I was in um, Berkeley, and I was, uh, I was, I was having a lot of uh, pain in my uh, lower abdomen, and so I went to the ER, or I went to, the, and they they did an ultrasound on me, and they said that, oh yeah, you have gallstones in your gallbladder, and I'm like a week away from finals. I was like, I can't get my gallbladder taken out right now. You know, I got to take finals, and they're like, it's okay. You know, go home and then take them out. So I went. I, you know, I got through finals and what these gallstones do is that it's like an attack in your lower abdomen and it's like a, something punching you from inside your stomach. Right. And so they happen at any moment of time, right. They can happen while you're sleeping, while you're eating, while you're doing anything, right. They just appear at any time. So then, um, I went back home and I got the surgery. Luckily I got that done before my Albertsons internship. And, uh, so what they do is they, it was laparoscopic, so they don't really make a big incision. Now technology is really good where they can just make three incisions, take out the gallbladder. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They took out the gallbladder. Shout out Dr. Hayashi. He did, he did an awesome job. And, and then, you know, you, they stitch you up and then you're good to go. Recovery was like two, three weeks for that one. So that one wasn't that bad. You know, I, fat- I mean, how was coming out though the next day? Was it like just super? Oh sore no, it, it was not. It was not even the next day. It was that day. I was. It was. In, going again. Yeah, it was inpatient. You know, a couple hours. You know, they put you on anesthesia. They take out the gallbladder and they're like, "All right, peace out, go home." You know, <laughs> and recover at home. And I, you're in excruciating pain. So you're. Oh, just, they took my freaking kidneys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're you're in excruciating pain. They give you, you know, obviously painkillers, and that helps. But you know, the gallbladder wasn't that bad. You know, fast forward to uh, this past uh, uh, November and December, I I had a I had a really big spleen, and so what they did they they did all they did an ultrasound on the left side of my abdomen, and they saw that my spleen was really big, and what that means is that uh, I have a I have a hereditary spherocytosis, and what that means is that basically my red blood cells are a different shape than normal blood cells. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're spheres instead of ovals. And so what the spleen does, it, it filters out your good red blood cells and your bad red blood cells. And so my spleen could have recognized which one were good and which one were bad. And what I mean by good and bad is that old and new. And so the old and new, so the spleen could have recognized, so it would just eat a bunch of red blood cells up at once. Okay, so then that grows the spleen larger. And so my, my doctor said like, yeah, your spleen's pretty big. Like, I think it's better that you take it out now than later because you're gonna give a, you know, if you get, if it ruptures inside, then you can have internal bleeding and that can be a better, that can be a bigger problem. So I got my uh, spleen taken out January and that one was much, much worse because, you know, I was in the hospital for a couple days um, and they did all, they did that one also laparoscopically. They said the spleen was the size of a football of a football. Usually the size of a spleen is a fist is a closed fist. So, yeah, so that one was pretty bad. Again, Dr. Hayashi did that and it was awesome. He did a great job. So I went back home. I recovered at home for a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks in, I started having uh, chest pain 
And I was like, damn, why am I having chest pain? Like, I just got this surgery. Like, is this normal? And, you know, some, and that one was also like coming in and out at random times during the day. I thought it was like panic attacks because, you know, I've had those before, but like I've, I've, I've able to control those before, but they said, uh, you know, I don't think it's a panic attack. So one day I was having excruciating pain in the chest. I go to the ER and they do an ultrasound again and they see like, it's, Oh, my pancreas is inflamed. So I had pancreatitis after a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks of my splenectomy. Are those related? Did, did... So yeah, basically when you get your splenectomy, spleen taken out, uh, uh, a byproduct of that could be common is uh, pancreatitis, right? Like an infection? Or? No, pancreatitis is like, it's an organ in your body uh, under your lower abdomen. And basically it means like your pancreas is inflamed, right? So it's, it's swollen. And so in my case, they found that a gallstone from my gallbladder that was taken out in June was stuck in a bile duct connecting the pancreas to the liver. <laughs> yeah, so it was a plugged pipe, basically. Like who was sitting there and was like, this, this is what gotta, it is. Just like, we're going to figure this out. Like, yeah. like this can happen. Like, and we can perform surgery on this. Like yeah. somebody had to be the guinea pig. It's like, yeah. oh, also, let's remove also your spleen. The, also the, oh yeah. We decided that we don't need this part. Like we what? can, rem- we can remove that part. That is shocking. Yeah. Human anatomy is crazy. You know, good thing I'm not a doctor, man. <laughs> but basically I go, so I go in after three weeks after my splenectomy surgery and you know, with this excruciating pain, and they're giving me pain meds. I'm in the hospital for a couple of days because they couldn't perform the procedure. What they do is that they put a hole, they put a tube in your mouth, and they suck out the 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 little uh, gallstone that's in the duct. And so, because that duct is there still, that that makes the pancreas inflamed because you need you need uh, basically a clear duct for the pancreas to be not swollen. Mm-hmm. And so the they took out a they took out a rock out of the out of using the tube inside and then after that i was good i was finally fully (laughs) recovered you know fully healthy uh thank god yeah but yeah those those like this year last year was a really tough time so i you know going back to kobe i found out i was in the hospital uh while the pancreatitis stuff was happening i find out that he passed away and i'm like damn like thing is things are just not going my way right now (laughs) you know like i'm like kobe's passing away i'm in the hospital like what could happen next yeah coronavirus happens next right and then so i'm just looking back and i'm I'm looking back today and i'm thinking like everything happens for a reason and and like that's like i really truly believe that because all the hardships that i have faced or you guys have faced they all happen for a reason because they make us stronger people in the end and kobe what he went through in his life or even what he was going to do uh unfortunately through this passing that he wasn't able to do he's able to showcase that in us and say like hey you know go fulfill my goal for me because i can't do it it's profound it is that's amazing wow but yeah dude glad glad you're you're healthy (laughs) yeah i'm glad you're doing better that seems pretty uh yeah i mean you can't live your life with fear man like after this surgery even even with corona like yeah you got to be safe and you got to take precautions but life is going to hit you with a different obstacle every single day. It's just like, it's a curveball. Every mm-hmm. day is a curveball. Either you're going to hit it out of the park or you're going to take a strike. Yeah. You just got to learn from it and grow. Just got to keep going. I've keep def- on. That's I'm a life song. About keep on keeping on until you die. <laughs> I've definitely whiffed some curveballs in my life. I mean, but that's the part, that's the part of learning. You yeah. know, that's the, that's all about the learning experiences, relationships that fail. You know, you fail a class, uh, you get, you don't get the job that you want. It's all about things that make you stronger in the end. And how you take them. Mm-hmm. Stay strong out there. 
Well, Deep, it's been amazing having you on the pod. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you, guys. A moment. How can people reach you? Oh, yeah. Everyone, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Facebook, Deep Mystery. Instagram, at The Deep Mystery. LinkedIn, Deep Mystery. Again, how do you spell mystery? M-I-S-T-R-Y. And gotcha. I, know, I know a lot of people are going to be asking how I got this name, so I'll just let everyone know. Uh, you know, it's nothing special. My light, my name means light in in Hindu culture. So my first name, light is deep, means light. And then mystery is just the last name that my dad has. So it's it's gone from a long time. It's come down for a long time. So deep mystery, I'm, nothing special about it. My parents were not in any type of uh, shape or form thinking about, hey, let me name my kid deep mystery. I got to say, though, I mean, best name I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Power I, name. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, Alrighty. thank you so much. No, uh, thank th- you, guys. Appreciate th- you guys having me. Yeah, thank you all for listening. This is episode five of Slow Pod. What is up, San Luis Obispo? We are officially All Systems Go on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Slow Pod. We are now also available on iTunes Podcasts and the Google Play Store under Slow Podcast. And if you really love what we're doing here, you can support us at Patreon for one-time or monthly donations and Anchor for monthly donations. Thank you so much for your support, everyone. We look forward to giving you more great content.